Okay, today is MYF Sunday, and it's the the part the the every is the one day in the year uh, when we specially acknowledge the the youth in our congregation, and uh, we had the opportunity and the privilege of having them lead us in worship, also to uh, encourage us with a skit, and so they they presented the skit about very important life choices, uh, and. I, I fully agree. Taylor Swift is not worth skipping church for. Uh. <laughs> and also, I, I think Taylor Swift has nothing on that dance. Uh. So, yeah. The, the message that, that uh, we are looking at today is according to the theme that they chose for this MYF Sunday, uh, this theme about choosing righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with others who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so, Instead of going to a concert, we saw Joel, uh, he chose to uphold a promise. He chose to influence someone to come to church you know, because of his actions. I thought it was very creative, huh? give you a glimpse into the future. Something that wasn't possible uh, until recently, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, so today we'll be looking at the, the theme that they've chosen. Uh, about the pursuit of righteousness from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us this morning, that, Lord, you lead our hearts in your directions. Speak, Lord, your servants listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, on the 7th of July, every year, 7 7, uh, uh, there's something that happens. No, not just uh, another shoppy day. Uh, uh, but there is a tradition every year on the 7th of July, uh, a hundred, hundreds of years old tradition that takes place in Pamplona, which is a city in Spain. Okay, and this tradition is called the running of the bulls. Have you heard of it? Uh, okay, okay. Basically, it's like a, it's like a Penang Bridge marathon, but instead of the Penang Bridge, you have about 6 to 12 bulls that are running after you. Lah, okay, so people are running, and then you've got bulls running after you. Uh, let's, uh, I'll give you a quick look at what it looks like. Uh, so we have a, a short video to, to play. Okay, so you hear them screaming, you don't know whether it's in terror or excitement. <laughs> don't know what's going on. Uh, it, this has become a very popular tourist attraction. Any of you ran with the bulls before? Noah, uh, any of you watched from the sidelines? Noah, uh, okay. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tradition that apparently started when they, they were transporting bulls for... Uh, 
you know, bullfighting, they have that Spanish bullfighting thing, right? The toro, toro, and then, and then, uh, then the, the bull will charge, and then they will jump out of the way. So, uh, they used to transport bulls to the bull ring, and it, they, it started like a sort of informal race who can get to the bull ring faster. Uh, and then it became a tradition, okay, where more and more people joined. Uh, so, even though I personally find this tradition to be very bizarre, uh, very weird, uh, I found it to be a very interesting picture for our big idea today. And that is, Christian community helps us run from evil towards righteousness. Okay, so if you forget everything, this is the one thing to, to take home. Uh, that Christian community helps us run from evil towards righteousness, or to run from evil desires uh, towards righteousness. Uh, today, we're looking at Paul's second, uh, second letter to Timothy. And this is a letter uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy, encouraging him as a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. Uh, by this time, when, when, when Paul calls Timothy a youth, uh, uh, during that time, the word youth can refer to quite a broad age. Uh, so, it, it's not just teenage, okay? The word youth can refer all the way up to like 30s, even up to 40, okay? That was like the, the cutoff point. Lah. So, Timothy is estimated that at this time, uh, when Paul writes to him in 2 Timothy, Timothy is roughly in his early 30s, Likely still single, okay? So that's his, his situation. And this letter is probably the last letter that Paul writes, at least that we have from the Bible, okay, before his death. Because Paul is talking about, oh, uh, I've run the race and, you know, my end is coming and that, that kind of thing. Lah. Okay, so uh, in this letter, which is like his final letter to Timothy, uh, Paul encourages Timothy, last words, ah, persevere in the faith, preach the word of God, be careful of false teaching. Okay, so that's, that's like the, the, the rough message of his letter to Timothy. Now, today's verse comes from chapter 2. And just to, to give us the, the context, huh? uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, Paul is using an illustration to, to make a point about Timothy. Okay, and so the illustration that he uses is containers, uh, articles, uh, the, the word is containers, huh? uh, articles in a house or containers in a house like plates or bowls uh, that are different from each other. And so he says, some of these containers in the house, uh, some of these plates, some of these bowls, uh, they are gold and silver. Okay, so they, have, they, are, they are used for special meals, special events. So this is a bit like, you know, when, you, when you, your family invites somebody important to your house. Uh, it's not the usual, okay, sit down in front of the TV, uh, eat tapao <laughs> from, from the box, uh, plastic, disposable or whatever. Uh, you properly prepare the table, you, you take out the very nice uh, silverware, cutlery, you use the nice plate, right, the, the fanciest plate that you have. So... It's like that, okay, that these, these uh, gold and silver plates, bowls, dishes uh, are used for very, very important occasions. 
other containers, other plates, other bowls and all that, uh, wooden and clay ones that are used for everyday use. So, a bit like, okay, if we find a straight cat, we want to feed it, we don't go and use our best, you know, uh, gold trim plate, porcelain, we probably get some plastic takeaway container and nah, <laughs> right? Okay, so, the gold and silver containers are set apart for a special purpose. In other words, they are considered holy. We know the word holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose, right? So they are holy for a special purpose. So Paul is telling Timothy in, in this chapter 2, verse 20 to roughly 23, lah, Paul is telling Timothy, be holy so that he can be uh, useful to the master, to God, because he's holy. And so because he's holy, he is also prepared for any good work. Okay, so that, that is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. So then we come to today's verse, which is verse 22. And so this call to Timothy uh, to be holy involves three things. Firstly, to run from evil desires. Secondly, to run towards righteousness. And thirdly, to run with other believers. Okay, so these are the three things that we'll be looking at today. Now, firstly, Paul tells Timothy, run from evil desires. The Greek word that he uses to, to flee, okay, when he says flee uh, the evil desires that come with youth, the word that he uses for flee is where we get the English word fugitive. Okay, it's fugo or something like that. Okay, so it's where we get the word fugitive. So it's, it's the kind of running away where you are desperate to avoid getting caught at all costs. Okay? Trying to evade capture at all costs. And so in the case of evil desires, we are talking about temptation. Now, temptation is not a sin in itself. If you feel tempted, it doesn't mean you have sinned. But when the temptation catches up with us and we give in to it, that's when sin is born. Right? And so Paul says... Run from temptation in order to avoid it as much as possible. Now, this warning of running away from evil desires is for youth. Yes, like Timothy. But it also applies to all ages. Okay, so listen up. Huh? This is not just a message for the youth. It's a message for all of us regardless of our age. Okay? Paul's main point to Timothy is remain holy. So, it's not just the young who need to run from evil desires. Timothy just happened to be young. Lah. Okay? If Paul had been writing to an older pastor, he might have told him to flee the evil desires of old age. Okay? Or flee the evil desires of those who are married, you know, and so on. Whatever is contextual, whatever is relevant. And so... When Paul tells Timothy to flee the evil desires of youth, Paul wanted to warn Timothy about evil desires that he might face more commonly because of his age, because of his youth. So he's saying, you're going to face these temptations more often because you are young, and so flee these evil desires in order to remain holy. And so how can Timothy run from the evil desires of youth? 
uh, when I, throughout this message, as I uh, talk about Timothy, I'm not talking about the one, who, the, the weird old angel <laughs> who sounded like him, Mickey Mouse at times and uh, led us in worship. Eh? Talking about Paul's Timothy, uh, so don't go and uh, turn and look at him every time I mention Timothy. So, how can Timothy run from the evil desires of youth? Well, firstly, he would need to be aware of the temptations that he would tend to face, okay? Maybe because of his age, the, the temptations he would tend to face uh, for people of his age more commonly. Okay, before we continue further, I'm sure many of us are assuming the evil desires of youth, youthful passions. Uh, immediately, we're thinking Paul is talking about sexual temptation, right? After all, those who are more affected by sexual temptation are those who are younger, uh, simply because hormones. <laughs> those who are younger, uh, going through puberty or just gone through puberty, hormones are still like all up in the air and everything. And so, so uh, greater sexual temptation, right? But we, although we should flee from sexual temptation, yes, Paul probably was not writing about that. Okay, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, it says, so this is immediately after the tw verse 22, uh, that says flee the, the evil desires of youth. Paul says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they, pursue, uh, they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. So the context is telling us that more likely the evil desires of youth that Paul might have been referring to wasn't about sexual temptation. More likely is about being quick to anger. It's about being quarrelsome. It's about being harsh. It's about being unkind. And so these are things that Timothy, a young pastor, would have been tempted to in his younger age. Uh, and he would be tempted to, to be uh, more you know, quarrelsome, uh, less kind, uh, tempted to be quick to anger, to be harsh, uh, more than an older experienced person who had made such mistakes and learned from them and maybe have even gone through, uh, you know, has been on the other side, you know, that kind of thing. And so, these are the, the evil desires that will be more prone to Timothy's age at that point. Another thing that Paul could have re been referring to is actually found not in 2 Timothy, but in 1 Timothy. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. It says, You, man of God, again, Paul writing to Timothy, his first letter, You, man of God, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So, almost word for word in his earlier letter to Timothy. And so here, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, he says, flee from all this. What is this all this that he's talking about? Or you look at the previous verse. This is verse 11. Look at verse 10. Love of money, a root of all kinds of evil. And so, Paul was writing to Timothy, at least in his first letter, he's saying, flee from the love of money and pursue righteousness, blah, 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 right? So the love of money is definitely more a temptation for those who are younger 
still thinking about dreaming about the possibilities of career and the sort of things that they will get, uh, the materialism, the things that they want and have not gotten yet, uh, rather than those who have retired, they got all their savings, they got all their investments, they already bought all the things that they want, nothing exciting that they want to get. So the love of money is still more of a greater temptation for those who are younger. And so, uh, just to give you a, a, a context of exactly what Paul is addressing for Timothy. So the call to holiness is for us to be aware of the temptations that we would more commonly face wherever we are in life. So if we are younger, what are the temptations we would face as uh, younger people? If we are older, what are the temptations we will face more as older people? So younger people like Timothy, more prone to temptations like impatience, stubbornness, recklessness. Yes, sexual temptation, okay, more prone. But an older demographic might be more prone to temptations like unforgiveness, pride, hypocrisy, and so on, okay? So the point is, we should be aware of the temptations that we would likely face. And this leads us immediately to the temptations that we already face, especially if we have sinful patterns and habits and bondages in our lives, where we know we struggle with a very habitual sin and we know that the temptation is constantly there. We already know that temptation is something we're going to face. Okay, so the awareness of temptations that we will face. Not just going through life blindly and then, oh, suddenly got temptation, oh, suddenly got temptation. But to be aware, okay? To be cautious. And then when you are aware of these temptations that you would be more prone to, that will more likely affect you, when you're aware of these temptations, what do you do? You run, right? You flee. You run away. Now, the, the video earlier about the running with the bulls, huh? I don't know if you noticed, but there's this guy. You see the guy in the orange shirt? What's he doing? Orange shirt. He is... Uh, don't worry, it'll play again. Huh? I said to look. Uh, for those who cannot see well enough, huh? the... Wait, huh? Okay, this guy in the orange shirt. Uh, you see? He is... Stroking the bull. He is sayanging the bull. <laughs> okay, because for some reason he's running and he's like, ah, let me pet the bull while I run. <laughs> okay. And so, asking for trouble, right? If you watch carefully, at the end, the orange shirt, after a while, no more orange shirt because he fell down already. Okay. So, there are some of us, uh, see, uh, carefully, the orange shirt, and then. Ba-boom, no more orange shirt. Okay, so there are some of us who are like this when it comes to facing temptation. We know what we are tempted by. We know what can injure us. We know what is dangerous. By the way, uh, for those of you who think that this is just a very safe thing that, you know, uh, it's, it's like something that they do all the time for hundreds of years, surely it's safe. La. There must be some sort of mechanism in the bull that programmed them to not injure anybody. No, people get injured and they still run for some reason, okay? Uh, people get gored, seriously injured by these bulls. They get trampled, some die, and they still do it, all right? Uh, so that's why I say I cannot understand la, this, this tradition. But 
there are some of us who are like this. We know the danger that these things pose to us. We know what we are tempted by. And still we allow ourselves in, to, to come into a situation where we are near it, where we are close to it, where we can be easily tempted. And so some of us even want to like uh, reach out and, Aya, sayang la. <laughs> uh, this this uh, old friend, right? Uh, you remember Joseph's response to temptation by Potiphar's wife? Uh, we, we know this story, lah, okay? Joseph is a slave and he is serving his mother, uh, his mother, his master, Potiphar. His master's wife, who is uh, unnamed, she is known as Potiphar's wife, uh, thinks he's very, very hot, okay? He's very chun. And so she wants to wants him to kind of sleep with her. And he says, come to bed with me. Now, think about the temptation that Joseph is facing. Huh? Firstly, sexual temptation, definitely. Uh, slave, a foreigner in the land, he probably doesn't have many opportunities to have any sexual activity, right? Uh, so the sexual temptation. But if he complied to, to Potiphar's wife, and gave in, it would have given him even more power, even more privilege than he had. He was head of the slaves, still a slave. Okay, so if you are sleeping with the master's wife, you're going to have a lot more power and influence and privilege than any slave, right? And so how did Joseph respond to this situation, this irresistible temptation? He didn't stay there and make a list of pros and cons. Uh, he didn't stand there and say, you know, I resolve, I know I can resist this temptation, so bring it on. You know, I can do it. Uh, he ran. <laughs> he ran out of the house and he left his, his cloak with Potiphar's wife. Lah. So when we are aware of temptations that we are likely to face, run. Remove yourself from the situation so you don't have to wrestle with the temptation in the first place. So, if you have a problem with pornography, very common temptation in, in, in our world today, don't allow yourself the ability to easily access it with any device whenever you're alone. Don't purposely go and uh, have your own room with all the devices and uh, high-speed internet connection and nobody can see you and know what you're doing for hours on end and remain there. When you know it's a time you're going to be tempted. If you have a problem with gluttony and overeating, don't stock up on more food or snacks than you need. Uh, let somebody else do the grocery shopping. If you have a problem with shoplifting and you cannot resist each time you go into a shop, you just must take a tiny little souvenir just for the excitement, you know. Don't wear clothes with pockets, okay? When you go into a store, go into, go into a store without any pockets and then, you know, don't put yourself in a situation where you can be tempted. Once you're aware of the temptations that you face, that you will likely face, run as far as you can from them. Now, the call to holiness is not just to run away from something. It is also to run towards something. 
are those who run with the bulls in Pamplona. They run away from the bulls, yes, but they run towards a, a, a goal, a location, a place, right? And this is a bull ring because once they go into the bull ring, uh, they know that the, the bulls are going to be funneled into a corral, a place where they are kept, uh, and then they'll be safe, right? So they run to safety in this place. They, they itchy backside want to go and put themselves in danger in the first place, but then they run towards safety, okay, in this place, this bull ring. Uh, at least until they decide to put themselves in the same situation the following year. So holiness is not just running away from temptation and sin. Holiness is running towards God and what God is like. Paul specifies four things that are part of God's character in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, flee from the evil desires of youth, right? But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And so the call to holiness is not just away from temptation, but towards those things. The word that Paul uses to pursue, to pursue those things, the Greek word actually means, it, it can mean to persecute. Okay, the word pursue. Huh? It can mean to persecute because it contains a sense of aggressively chasing after something. Okay, so if it's in a negative sense, you pursue somebody, you are going to persecute them. In a positive sense, if you pursue somebody, you're trying to woo them, trying to tackle them. Okay? That aggressively chasing after something that you really want to catch. So when Paul says pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, he's not saying generally drift in that direction. He's talking about very intentional and focused pursuit, like a, a hunter zooming in on the prey, wanting to catch it. Uh, as a pastor, the questions I get the most about morality are about prohibitions. Okay, I think I've mentioned this before, like I've shared uh, before. A lot of times people come and ask me, Pastor, this one can, this one cannot, this one can, this one cannot. Are we allowed to? Fill in the blank. Lah. Are we allowed to practice yoga? Are we allowed to have tattoo? Are we allowed to enter lucky draw? Are we allowed to uh, you know, follow feng shui advice? Whatever, whatever. Lah, okay? Are we allowed to do this or not? Uh, and so we tend to focus on making sure we don't do the bad stuff that Christians do. Uh, oh, sorry, that Christians don't do. Right? We, we try to make sure I'm good Christian, all the bad things Christians shouldn't do, I don't do. Right? But what about the good stuff we should do? Often I find there is not as much curiosity, there is not as much interest there. I don't hear much questions about, so pastor, what should we do? <laughs> right? So the, the sentiment I often find in, in churches in general, not just this church, like every church, is that as long as I'm not doing the stuff that I know is sinful, I'm not hurting anyone, I can just generally drift in the direction of I'm a decent person. Generally, I'm a good person. But friends, I want to challenge us today to think about how we can actively try to pursue, to hunt down things like righteousness, faith, love, and peace, as much as we actively try to avoid 
temptation and sin. Now, since MYF's theme is on the pursuit of righteousness, I will zoom in on that one particular aspect of God's character. How can we actively pursue righteousness? Well, firstly, we need to know what righteousness is. We need the definition. What is righteousness? Uh, I'm not talking about dictionary definition, you know, righteousness, what is right, lah, okay? But as sinful humans, we cannot just trust how we feel and what others think, okay? So how we feel, if we feel that this is right or others say, others think that this is right, we cannot just trust that because of sin. For example, we know today that many people see the LGBTQIA+, etc. movement as an issue of justice, right? If you go, maybe not as prevalent in, a, well, Southeast Asia, not as prevalent in Malaysia, but if you go overseas, let's say any of you go and study overseas in the, the US, the UK, uh, maybe Australia, there will be this sense of justice to champion for LGBTQIA plus uh, rights and, and uh, affirmation and all that. And so those who champion it and talk about gay pride and those sort of things, their perception is they believe they're doing the right thing. They are on the side of righteousness. They are fighting against an injustice of discrimination. And so just like how racism is wrong, they're saying discriminating uh, the sexual preferences is wrong. And so they say, I am on the side of righteousness. Right? But this sense, and you will find that this, this will bleed over into future generations as well. And so some of our younger people may also have this sort of mindset because we are more active in social media and more influenced by uh, beyond just this country's values. right? And so we may also feel that, hey, I want to be... Uh, modern, I want to be up-to-date, I don't want to be outdated, I also believe that it is right to champion for these causes. But this sense of righteousness about uh, affirming and encouraging and approving uh, LGBTQ, I'm not saying that uh, you should condemn and chase them away or that kind of thing, uh, please, uh, Noah. But I'm saying that saying that is a good and right thing and it's something that we should encourage more, right? And try to, to uh, uh, encourage people to, to explore and make sure that, you know, don't just assume that you are straight, you know, go explore and make sure you, you define your own sexuality, that kind of thing, okay? So, the sense of righteousness about LGBTQ has been shaped only in the past 50 years or so. Okay, you think about it. Huh? In the 1950s, most people didn't feel it was very righteous to affirm and encourage same-sex marriage. Okay, in the 1950s. But 1960s, 70s onwards, uh, they began to, to have this uh, agenda to normalize it and eventually turn it into an issue of justice, right? And so this is just an example that if society and culture and even how we feel can define what righteousness is 
and it can keep changing the definition of what is considered righteous and what is not, how do we know we are pursuing the right thing? Does it just matter based on which period in history we're living in? Thankfully, the Bible gives us a very straightforward answer. In fact, it's something that Paul writes to Timothy just one chapter later. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, very well-known verse. Read it together with me. One, two, three. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Training in what? Yeah. Okay. Training in righteousness. So the Bible, God's revelation to mankind about who He is and what He wants, the Bible, Scripture, God Himself is what defines what is right and what is not. So we need to know and read and study the Word of God so we can recognize righteousness for what God says it is. Those who still believe that LGBTQ is a, a, a cause to champion for justice and righteousness, if they have gone through their Bible, okay, there are still other issues. Lah. There are still other things to, to wrestle with in terms of interpretation and all that. But it would not be such a blanket statement of, yes, this is the right thing to champion for now. Right? If you really have gone through your Bible and you know what it says about uh, same-sex relations and everything, it won't be a straightforward endorse, I am on the side of righteousness. It would become a wrestle, a struggle. Uh, even if you, you don't, you're not already convinced, right? Uh, but if you don't know your Bible, if you don't know what God says about it, you don't know what God thinks about it, you just hear people, uh, old-fashioned people, uh, outdated people saying it's wrong, oh, they can't get with the times. There is no conviction for why uh, this is right or not. So we need to know and study the Word of God so we can recognize righteous, be trained in it. Then we can actively pursue it. So what do we know the Bible considers righteous? Uh, a whole bunch of things. Lah. Okay, and again, if, if I listed all of them, we'll be here forever. Uh, just a few examples. We know honesty and integrity are issues of righteousness, right? We know that. Okay. We know defending the defenseless, like the poor, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, these are issues of righteousness, right? We know removing obstructions that tempt us to, uh, tempt us to worship them instead of worshipping God. So idols, huh? things that tempt us away from worshipping God. These are also issues of righteousness. And so those are just some examples of coming to recognize what righteousness is just by reading some of the prophets in the Old Testament. You will see they keep repeating these issues and it's clearly an issue of righteousness with God. Okay, so know your Bible well. Be trained well in righteousness. Actively pursue it once you have that clear conviction. Okay, so run from evil desires. Run towards righteousness. Let's look at our last point. Run with other believers. I remember that video about the running of the bulls. You, you saw hundreds of people running, okay? Now, 
Let me ask you a question. Do you think it would be easier for hundreds of people to run with the bulls or easier for one guy to be running ahead of 12 bulls? What do you think is easier? If you put yourself, you alone, running away from 12 bulls, do you think that's easier compared to having hundreds of other people around you? I mean, yeah, lah, the bull, bull can go and target other people, lah, right? But it, it would be a lot easier if you had a uh, you had company in this very weird thing that you're doing, right? And so, okay, if there's any Spanish people here, I mean no offense, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just personally don't understand it. So, there is great strength in numbers. And sometimes that strength can be for good or for bad. Now, we all know the power of peer pressure, especially when we are younger. I remember in Form 3, uh, I'm sure many of you share the same experience as me. I went through a phase of using lots of, uh, let's call them very spicy words. Lah. Okay, Form 3. Yeah? Um, my, my vocabulary expanded greatly. It didn't matter whether English, Cantonese, Tamil, suddenly I know a lot of words. Right? I know the spiciest words. Even if I don't know how to speak the language, I know those words. And the reason why I used these spicy words was because everyone in Form 3 was using the same vocabulary. Now, I thank God for me. Uh, don't, don't use me as an example. Huh? I wasn't a Christian. Okay? <laughs> okay. So not a license for you to... Uh, um, yeah, pastor also, uh, so I... Uh, please know. Huh? Uh, but I, for me, it was just a face. I thank God. Okay, it was a phase that lasted, I don't think it lasted more than a year, only a couple of months. Lah. And so I tried to like, use these words and like, oh, I'm so cool. And after a while, I felt like, oh, this is so stupid. Okay, so I, I'm, pretty sure, but, but I'm pretty sure that I would not even have bothered trying out this vocabulary if no one else in school spoke the same way. And so, I'm pretty sure if everyone in school never ever used spicy lingo, I wouldn't be so tempted. I'd be like, okay, fine, I'm not missing out, right? And so, there is great power in peer pressure to run towards temptation, especially when we're still finding our identity, trying to fit in with a group of people, especially if it's a group who don't follow Jesus and we're trying to fit in and be one of them. Great power in peer pressure. But just as how there's great power in worldly peer pressure, there is great power in Christian community. Now, both fleeing evil desires and pursuing righteousness, Paul tells Timothy to do these things. The words that are used are present continuous tense, okay? And so what that means is, Paul tells Timothy, don't just flee evil desires once. Keep on fleeing evil desires. Keep on pursuing righteousness. In other words, don't just expect or prepare yourself to run away from these things or to run towards these things just once or twice or every now and then. Now, when your heart is on fire for God, and so those of us who, who maybe we came to faith when we were younger, you may recall this this period in your life when your, your heart is on fire for God, 
Nothing can convince you otherwise. You have such this great strong conviction, uh, so much emotion. You find, and, and so you find that during this time when you're on fire for God, you find it easy to flee from temptation. Huh, this thing is tempting me. No lah, I love God more. Oh, run, right? Or, or we, we find it easier to do the right thing. Oh, this person comes to me with a need to help them. Oh, yes, I'm ready to help you, sir. Okay, and we, we are so ready to flee from temptation and to pursue righteousness. But to turn this into a holy habit, to turn this into a lifestyle of holiness, this is not easy. Anyone who's ever gone to a youth camp before, or even a church camp, uh, you've experienced this. Wow. Go to camp, can feel so holy, can feel so loving over those few, uh, three, four days. Huh? Uh, everybody is so encouraging, everybody loves each other. Uh, the annoying person also not as annoying, you know, and, and you just feel like, wow, like heaven up there, right? But then we come down from the mountain, you go home, and the fire very quickly, poop, gone, right? And so, have you ever thought, why is it easier to run, to, uh, run from temptation and run towards righteousness in a camp setting and not at home? Have you thought about it? Yes, it is special, okay? It's novel, maybe even set apart holy. Uh, okay, maybe that's one reason. But why do you think it's easier? Uh, I share my experience attending seminary. Uh, for three years. And I remember my experience there, it was a lot easier for me to run from temptation and to pursue uh, things of God, right? It was easier. I was a full-time student staying on, on campus in a seminary, right? It was a lot easier than not staying in a seminary. So why is it easier in a camp, in a seminary? One reason... I think, is that in a camp, we are pursuing holiness in community. And that is something that happens over this period of three, four days. And so when we are in Christian community, we're not alone in our running away from temptation. We're not alone in our pursuit of righteousness. We are in community. And so when we are in Christian community, it's great power. Now, there are some benefits to being in Christian community that makes it easier uh, for us to flee from temptation and to run towards righteousness. I'll give you some examples. One, one of the benefits of being in Christian community, there is accountability. Okay, so using the camp example, huh? you think about it, you are in camp morning to night, you are with somebody, you are sleeping in a dorm, uh, you're using the same bathroom, you're going to devotion group together, uh, you're sitting through the message together. You cannot hide from anyone. You cannot hide anything in a camp. You want to do your business, also cannot. You hold it until you come back from camp, right? So, you're constantly with somebody who is observing how you behave, whether you're doing your devotion, how you're treating other people. You're holding each other accountable for the duration of the camp, right? There's also mutual encouragement. 
that in the camp you are cheering each other on during the team building games. Uh, there's this culture of encouragement that is encouraged among the, the helpers, the campers. Uh, we, we try and build each other up, lift each other up, right? Everyone's doing it, so we also do it. There is spiritual friendship, also known as fellowship. You know you're not alone in your spiritual journey. You know that others are journeying alongside you. You know that others are sharing the same sort of experience. You have a chance to share others, share with others your experiences with God, your struggles with God, your spiritual reality, everyday group discussions. Right? And then there's also opportunities for mentoring in the informal sense. Huh? Uh, that there are people there with more spiritual experience, people there with more spiritual maturity. They live out their spiritual example. They give you answers to questions you might have as you're earnestly trying to seek God. And so these are just some examples of benefits that we can only experience in Christian community. If there's no Christian community, you, you don't get this stuff, right? Tada. Langsung tada. And so when we run with other believers, we are able to experience these benefits of Christian community. I find it interesting, Paul specifies, he says, uh, flee evil desires, uh, pursue righteousness, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Not just those who call on the Lord, but those who do so out of a pure heart. Now, this pure heart is talking about a heart that is clean, okay? Uh, probably referring to verse 21, remember, talking about uh, Paul is telling Timothy, be holy, be clean, right? So, what Paul is saying is, pursue holiness along with others who are also pursuing holiness. Be holy in community. We have a word for this. It's called church. Right? Be holy in community. When we, when we who call on the Lord come together in the pursuit of holiness, we make up the body of Jesus Christ called the church. Not just a bunch of people who call on the Lord and call ourselves Christians. That's not the church. A bunch of people who call upon the Lord in the pursuit of holiness because they genuinely have a relationship with God. That is church. So my encouragement, friends, is to remain in Christian community wherever you are. Today, it might be Penang Trinity. But if you go somewhere for studies, for work, for helping your grandchildren, whatever. Make sure you still find Christian community where you are. Find a community where you can be held accountable for your faith, where you can be encouraged, where you can experience spiritual friendship, where you can be mentored. Now, some of you might be thinking, I come to Penang Trinity... I don't experience these things. I don't experience accountability. I don't experience encouragement. I don't experience spiritual friendship. I don't experience being mentored. I just come, I sit, I sing some songs, I listen to this fellow talk, and then bye-bye. Right? Where got accountability? Where got encouragement if the guy talking isn't encouraging? Uh, where got spiritual friendship? Where got mentoring? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I'm also glad to tell you that the Sunday worship service is not the main place this is supposed to happen in a church our size. If you go to a church that has 10 people, 12 people, maybe even up to 50 people, okay, you can still experience these things. Our membership is 660-something, almost 670. Regular attendance, at least in our morning service, regularly has been about 300, 320, 340. Can accountability, uh. can spiritual friendship, uh. can mentoring, uh. can encourage a little bit. Uh. Okay. And so in Penetrity, church outside, if you are looking for someone to run with you, if you are looking for someone to, uh, ex- to, to pursue holiness with you, if you want to experience the things that, at least in, in, in some sense, experience the things that we experience in these camps, accountability, encouragement, spiritual friendship, uh, spiritual friendship mentoring. Well, in our church, it happens mainly in small groups. To a certain extent, our fellowship groups as well, although that tends to have another purpose. But primarily, it happens in our small groups. So friends, if you feel like you are taking part in the running of the bulls alone, the pursuit of holiness alone, my encouragement, my challenge to you, find a small group. If you already found a small group but they lost you, go and find it again. Okay, ask someone you know who is part of a small group. If you don't know anyone, you can ask Daniel Koo. You, you see him up here every few weeks. He's our small group coordinator. You can ask uh, Brother John Jin, any of our leaders. You can ask myself. Okay, we will help you. So in conclusion, I'd like you to know the Christian community helps us run from evil desires towards righteousness. We are spiritually born into God's church. We should not be alone in our pursuit of holiness. I'd like you to be aware of temptation and run far from it. Try to remove yourself from being tempted in the first place. And do actively pursue righteousness. Be trained in righteousness through knowing and studying the Word of God, actively chase after what is right according to the Word of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, uh, just quickly some questions for us to reflect on or discuss in our small groups or families. First, what is one thing you can do to flee from temptation? One practical thing, huh? Two, what is one thing you can do to pursue what is right according to God's Word? Okay. And three, what is one way you can pursue holiness better in community with others? If you're not in a small group, what is one small group you can find? Okay? I leave these questions with you to ponder 